0: As a church, we've been going through the book of Hebrews and studying um, this book of the Bible. And today we are at chapter 11, and this is a section of of text and scripture which talks about a host of people who have been commended for their faith. Uh, Sometimes this chapter is referred to as the hall of faith, and these people are sometimes described as heroes of the faith. But what is commendable faith? I want to begin this morning by reading you part of a letter that an old pastor of mine shared in a sermon a number of years back. In January 2008, a friend of ours, Clara, which is not her real name, uh, was kidnapped in Afghanistan by the Taliban. Clara was a humanitarian aid worker and a Christian woman that had moved to this far off country to help serve the poorest of the poor. She had worked for over five years in some of the harshest areas of the country, leading a women's skills training program and being light for the gospel in a very dark place. Her presence in the city was a threat to radical Islamic religious leaders for several reasons. For one, she was bringing education to women whom they believed should not learn skills that allow women to work except in domestic chores. Second, she was a Christian woman, and they were threatened by the thought that women would be exposed to outside ideas. She'd gone to serve Afghans out of a desire to be a witness for the Lord. The only reason she was there in southern Afghanistan was because of the gospel. It was her understanding of what Christ had done for her on the cross and how he made himself nothing taking the form of a servant that led her to leave her life in suburban Virginia to move to one of the most forsaken places on earth, a place where dust storms were a daily occurrence. Windows had to have blast film because of the risk of explosions at any time, a place where there was no electricity to run a fan in the 100 Fahrenheit degree heat in the summer where she would have only sporadic internet access, straight emails to get news from home, a place where an armed Islamic group that is hostile to the gospel operates with impunity. She did this because she understood that Christ had come to earth to face even greater dangers, even more separation from his father, even more discomfort for our sake. When news of Clara's kidnapping was heard in the streets, Pashtun women from the southern stronghold of the Taliban were outraged. For the first and only time in the history of that oppressed place, 300 women marched to the governor's mansion to demand that he do something to free her. These women had benefited from her project and were not protesting because Clara had taught them a few skills. They demonstrated because of the incredible witness of humble service that Clara had had. They protested, you might say, because they saw Christ in her. In our passage this morning, we're given a list of people who are commended for their faith. So this morning, I want to explore that question, what is commendable faith. What is commendable faith? So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 32. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we as a church, we've got church Bibles in the back, which you can go and get. And everything I say will also be on the screen behind me. And if you don't own a Bible, please just take one of those great church Bibles home with you. That's our gift to you. And actually, as an intern who has to put those Bibles away too, um, thank you for those of you who have been taking them because the bin is lighter now, which is really nice. Um, So beginning in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, and not the way Vancouverites are stoned. It was with a rock. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Notice with me how in verse 39, at the very beginning, it says, and all these though commended for their faith. So these people that the author has just talked about all throughout this chapter, they are commended for their faith. They they have a faith that is commendable. Literally in the Greek, it's having obtained witness through their faith. Now in verse 32, it also says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Sam and the prophets. And time would fail me too. Uh, if I were to speak about every single one of these people, I would still be preaching come four o'clock. And actually, had I done that, you guys would actually come in like not even halfway through my first sermon, and you'd just be really confused, and I would be confused. Um, it would just be a big mess. And even if my English accent could hold your attention for that long, um, so if you're interested in learning more about these people, we actually did a series on this a couple of years back called "Cloud of Witnesses," where we looked at a number of these different individuals. Um, And so all those sermons are online on the St. Pete's website, and you can feel free to go check that out. Uh, But for the sake of time this morning, I'm just going to focus on one person, and that's Gideon. So who is Gideon, and why does he matter? We learn about Gideon in the book of Judges in chapter 6. And the book of Judges uh, follows the story of the ancient Israelites as they had come into the land of Canaan, this promised land, and how they wavered between worshipping and trusting God, trusting Yahweh, and not worshipping God, not worshipping Yahweh. When they worshipped Yahweh, they prospered. Things went well for them. But when they abandoned Yahweh and turned to worshipping other gods, things didn't go so well for them. In fact, they succumbed to foreign armies and occupations. And when we meet Gideon, that's exactly what's happened. Israel is oppressed, and the people are worshipping Baal, the god of the Canaan. Uh, We read in Judges chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, Because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They were oppressed and driven into hiding. And when we meet Gideon, he's hiding too. In verse 11, it it tells us about how uh, Gideon is harvesting wheat in a winepress to hide it from the Midianites. His people are oppressed, and Gideon is hiding out of sight, just scraping to get by. But God didn't want Gideon to hide, and he didn't want Israel to suffer under an oppressive foreign regime. In Israel's desperation, they had actually called out to Yahweh for deliverance, and he had heard their cry. And so he raised up Gideon to be a judge over Israel. Gideon would lead the Israelites to worship Yahweh, the Lord, their God, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Gideon was the least in his father's household, and he was of the weakest clan in all of Manasseh. But the Lord was with him, and he sent him out to free his people from the Midianites. So Gideon's first action was to take care of the idolatry in the city. So he, he went and destroyed the idols in the altars of Baal. He, under the cover of night, he went to his, uh, the altar that his dad had set up, to Baal and he destroyed the altar and then he destroyed all his family's idols and then he built a new altar to the Lord and then the next morning when his family in the town woke up they were outraged and they tried to kill Gideon but his father stepped in and said that actually it should be Baal who should contend against Gideon it was Gideon who had destroyed Baal's altar so Gideon was given a new name, Jerubal which means let Baal contend against him But the lifeless idol of the people couldn't lift a finger against Gideon. As Gideon went out to gather his troops to fight off the Midianites, he he wavered and tested God. Despite all that God had done for him and how God had proved himself time and time again, Gideon wanted proof that the Lord was really with him. So Gideon came up with this test. Uh, He had a fleece and he took it and put it outside of his tent at night and said, God, if if you're with me in, in the morning, let this fleece be wet and let the ground be dry. So Gideon laid out the fleece and he went to bed. And the next morning he woke up and, and the fleece was wet and the ground was dry. And Gideon was sufficiently freaked out. So he tested God again and he asked for the opposite. So that night he, he laid the fleece back out again and said, God, if you're really with me, let, let the opposite happen. Let, let the fleece be dry and let the ground be wet. And when he woke up, sure enough, the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. Gideon wavered in his faith. And tested God, and God proved Himself faithful. And then God asked Gideon to really put his trust in Him. Gideon had raised up an army of uh, thirty thousand men to fight off the Midianites, uh, but God told Gideon to send ninety-nine percent of his army home. God would save His people from the hand, by the hand of only three hundred soldiers. With the strength of the Lord, Gideon and his small army routed and defeated the Midianite army. And killed their leaders. The Lord delivered the Israelites, and in Gideon's lifetime, the Lord reigned over the people of Israel. But after Gideon's death, the people returned to worshiping Baal. Gideon, called, let Baal contend against him, pointed all the people to Yahweh. But with Gideon's death, the people forgot their true God and returned again to idolatry. It's all rather heroic, right? a story of overcoming impossible odds and uh, the the heroic leader who led them all through it. But the thing is, Gideon wasn't much of a a hero of the faith. He he fumbled and he faltered. He doubted and he wavered. And when he received signs from God, he, he still struggled to believe them. God demonstrated his faithfulness to Gideon over and over again. And finally, Gideon chose to trust God. And he moved his feet to follow in the path that God had led for him. Gideon was a reluctant leader of God's people. The boldness of his faith was coupled with moments of crippling doubt and fear. What if God isn't with me? What if he never actually shows up? But God proved himself faithful over and over again. And Gideon is just one of many examples that the author of Hebrews points to as examples of people of faith who were commended for their faith. The thing is, though, this isn't really a list of heroes. They all fell short in some way. Gideon might have won a battle, but he struggled to believe God was with him. Barak might have raised up an army, but in the midst of battle, he was upstaged by a housewife. Samson might have single-handedly defeated a foreign army, but he was a raging narcissist who absconded his prophetic calling. Jephthah might have been a mighty warrior, but he condemned his own daughter to death. And David might have been called a man after God's own heart. But he was an adulterer, and he died cynical and jaded. In fact, the only person in on this little list here that is, seems upright at all is the prophet Samuel. Uh, when the Protestant theologian John Calvin looked at this passage, he wrote, There was none of them whose faith did not falter. In every saint, there is always to be found something reprehensible. These people aren't much for heroes of the faith. And in fact, at times, they seem to have given up faith altogether. But Calvin continues, Nevertheless, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. There is no reason, therefore, why the fault from which we labor should break or discourage us provided we go on by faith in the race of our calling. These people were commended, not because of what they did, no. They were commended for who they knew. Their actions and their deeds point us to the object of their faith. It points us to God. By faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises. So they bore witness to the God who is king, to the God who is of justice, to the God who is faithful. By faith, they stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, and escaped the edge of the sword. And so they bore witness to the God who intervenes, to the God who protects, to the God who rescues. By faith, they became strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So they bore witness to the God who is sustainer, to the God who is mighty, to the God who delivers. By faith, women received back their dead by resurrection. And so they bore witness to the God who raises the dead. In fact, he's the God who is worthy of our very lives. In verse 35, it says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They bore witness to the God who is worth more than comfort and pleasure. He is the God who is so worth knowing and believing and trusting that countless scores of people have chosen to suffer torture. They have chosen to endure persecution for his sake. They believe that knowing him is so right and so good and so worth it that they would rather they would sooner die than forsake him. And that's it's pretty intense, isn't it? People suffering and dying for their faith. I mean, I don't see much of that in Canada. I, I don't see much of that in the West, actually. Um, we don't often think about religion being costly but Christians throughout the centuries and all over the world even today know a faith and know a Christian faith that does cost them dearly and they believe he's worth it even in Vancouver people face costs for following Jesus I know a young man who uh, in this city who recently changed his job because he believes Jesus is worth following no matter what the cost his former boss had been behaving unethically at work, and the whole situation was just kind of getting out of hand to the point where this, even this young man's own life, he, the whole thing was just perpetuating his own struggles with lust. So he, he quit his job, and he got a new job. He took, he's now completely overqualified for what he's doing, and he took a massive pay cut, and he's had to redo his entire schedule. Um, but he did it because he wants to honor Jesus. He wants to honor Jesus with his mind, with his life, with his body. He believes Jesus is better. And I know of families in this city and even in our church who are making the difficult choice to stay and raise their kids in Vancouver and forgo some of the comforts and dreams and nice necessities even of things that you would want your kids to have. They've given up backyards and even owning their own home. Because they believe Jesus has called them to stay and be his witnesses here in this city. They believe he's worth following, even if it means staying and giving up the common comforts and dreams they had for how they would raise their kids. You see, the people that the author is referencing in this passage, they aren't committed for what they did. No, they're, they're committed for who they knew. Their lives are testimonies. They, their lives bear witness to the all-surpassing worth of knowing God. They were citizens of heaven, not of this earth. And so the earth was not worthy of them. And God was pleased to call them his own. But look with me at the rest of us, 39. And all these, though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Uh, that sucks. So, so what, Like their, their faith, their commendation, it, it was all for nothing? Their, their sacrifices, their scars, it, it didn't work? I mean, some, sometimes faith can feel like that, right? Like, we're, we're doing this for nothing. There's no end to this. It's, it's kind of pointless. Uh, like, God's not going to come through. And just as a quick aside, if, if that's where you're at this morning, um, and especially if you feel like hope If hope feels like a hollow word to you today, please know that this is a safe place and you're welcome here. And we want to journey with you through this as you wrestle with your doubts about faith. In fact, after the sermon during communion, we're going to have people on the side who would love to listen to you. And they would like to pray with you and lift up those doubts and fears to God. Um, You can also come talk with me or with Preston or with Alistair after the service. Or if you want, you can also go onto our website at stpf.ca slash care. So our website is just slash care. Um, and you can sign up to meet with, with a pastor or you can sign up to meet with our care team. Um, and please know that you're not alone and we would love to journey with you through this. Um, and I, I, that could be another sermon, so I need to stop with this now. But, um, so were all these sacrifices and commendations for nothing? No, they were for something. Their faith mattered. It counted for something because they knew God. They obtained witness from God through their faith. Elsewhere, actually, in Hebrews, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And actually, they did receive some promises. Uh, Remember what it says in verse 33? Who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. They did obtain some promises, So does that mean scripture is lying and self-contradictory? No. No, actually, let's look back at Gideon, what happened with Gideon. God promised Gideon that he would save the Israelites from the hand of Midian. And that, that happened. Israel was saved. And during Gideon's lifetime, the Israelites worshipped God. They worshipped Yahweh. You see, Gideon saw a glimmer of the promise but he didn't see the whole of it because when Gideon died, they went back to worshiping Baal. He didn't get to receive the fullness of what was promised, the great promise, a people saved and rescued and in relationship with God. Gideon saw a glimmer of the promise, but he didn't see the whole of it. But we do. Look with me again at the passage. And all these, though commanded through faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. You see, the hope that anchors our faith is that we have received a greater promise. Gideon caught just a glimpse of it, a small glimmering, but we see it all. The writer of Hebrews actually already talked about this in chapter 10. He writes, For since the law has put a shadow of the good things to come into the true form of these realities. It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. And then in verse 11, jumping down, he writes, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until all his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That is, those who are being made perfect. And then in verse 17, he quotes the prophet Jeremiah, who's speaking on behalf of God, and says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Gideon saw a glimmering of a people who knew God, a glimmering of people who could enter into God's presence with boldness and confidence. But because of Jesus, we've received the full promise. Jesus is the promise. And now we don't just have a glimmering of what people of now we don't just have a glimmering of a people who enter into God's presence. We have the reality. Jesus is not the shadow, he's the perfect image. And we can enter into his presence with boldness and confidence. Uh, to quote John Calvin again if those on whom the great life of grace has not yet shone showed such patience in bearing their ills. What effect, what the full light of the gospel to have on us? A tiny spark of light led them to heaven, but now that the sun of righteousness shines on us, what excuse shall we offer it if we still hold to the earth? We have a greater promise. The full light of the sun now shines upon us. They were committed for their faith by God because the object of their faith was God. And they stumbled and they faltered, but they continued on. Uh, the New Testament professor at Regent College, uh, Mary Kamau Kavolishan, says that faith is the response to God's character that leads us inextricably into obedience and endurance, knowing that God himself will complete what he has promised and bring us into perfection. There is no faith but faithful faith. Faithful faith. This is commendable faith. Committable faith, that that profound thing which is so yet profoundly simple. It's faithful faith. Faithful faith, faith that chooses to trust and to hope even when all hope seems lost. Faithful faith because we will fumble and fall. But God picks us back up again. Every single time he reaches out his hand and says, even still, you are mine. As a former pastor of mine says, there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you have done that can make him love you any less. In Christ, there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore because his love abounds for you. And you can't earn more of his love because it overflows. And in Christ, there's nothing you have done that can make him love you any less because his love goes deeper than all your sin. The commendable faith is the faith that endures. It is the faithful faith that gets back up and trusts again. It is the faithful faith that follows God and sometimes comes along kicking and screaming. It is the faith that lurks upon the face of Jesus and beholds him and with the assurance of hope in seeing his face says, yet not my will, but yours. I, I began by reading... letter about Clara who got kidnapped uh, in Afghanistan. And I want to end our time today by, by reading you the rest of the letter from Clara's friend. He writes, I and a few others from our team ended up negotiating with the hostage takers for six months. During that time, we received news that she was being moved around to keep her hidden. The US military tried several rescue attempts. In fact, It was the same unit that did the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound, SEAL Team 6, that was tasked with trying to rescue her. Twice they got very close to rescuing her. One of those times she had been moved to a neighbouring house as the troops arrived. Another time she was hidden in the basement of the house and the rescue team just missed her. You can only imagine the frustration Clara must have felt to hear her rescuers just feet away and then to realise that the attempt had failed. From knowing Clara, I can tell you, despite these disappointments, she did not lose faith in her real saviour. I wish I could share with you this story ends happily, but this story has no ending. We do not know what happened to Clara. She kept being moved from village to village, handed off from one group of rogue men to another. The last we heard, she was handed over to a, ma- ma- handed over to a nomadic group of arms smugglers and wandered through the de- that wandered through the desert of death in southeastern Afghanistan. And then she disappeared. We do not know if they killed her. They had threatened to kill her because they had found Christian literature on her computer. But we have no proof, no body. But she has not been heard from in over eight years. She simply disappeared. Is she an extraordinary hero of faith? Well, in a sense, she was. I, along with several members of our church, knew her well. She is a woman of faith, but if I sit and remember her as she was, she was a regular woman from Virginia, a friendly, smiling friend, a person who struggled along with the rest of us when it was hot and who loved to go on vacation, a regular girl who decided to take a step out in faith and obey a calling from the Lord to go to a place where she was not sure she could handle I saw God's grace and strength enable her to develop an amazing project among the women in southern Afghanistan. And I know that God's grace and strength were with her when she was taken by the Taliban. Faith is demonstrated in times of adversity, but its work is manifested long before that. Sometimes faith is quiet, working humbly in love, but it is that same faith that makes a regular girl like Clara stand up to one of history's most vicious regimes and say, Christ is better, and the mission is worth it. Christ is better, and the mission is worth it.